Welcome to Fast Lane with Sarah Jane, a podcast for women who are on the move, managing life and family. Your host, Sarah Jane, is building a tribe and talking about the things that affect the daily lives of moms. You can expect real conversations about managing chaos, finding ways to take care of mind and body, and stepping outside your comfort zone on the way to living your best life. Hold on for a wild ride. Now, let's get started. Today, I am speaking with Rima Nashashibi, and first of all, I love that exotic name, so I'm just excited that I can introduce you, but this woman is on a major mission, and when I had seen what she was doing, I really wanted to speak with her. So, Rima, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I would like you to explain what you have started and what your mission is. Sure. I started Global Hope 365, which is a 501c3 nonprofit here in California. In 2017, we had our inaugural event, uh, January 8, 2019. And our mission is dedicated to improving the lives of women and girls locally and nationally through advocating for their safety, through raising awareness, education, uh, prevention, empowerment, in order to save lives. So we focus on ending harmful practices against women and girls like child marriage and human trafficking. I was unaware all this time here in the US until 2016 when I received an email from a friend. I thought all this time that child marriage was not legal in the US because we as the US police other countries for allowing child marriages. We put countries on tiers. And to find out that it was legal back then in 48 states. Uh, right now, they are, uh, child marriage is still legal in 46 states. The first states to ban child marriage under 18 with no exceptions were uh, Delaware and New Jersey in May and June in 2018, followed by Pennsylvania and Minnesota of May of this year, even during COVID-19. And I applaud these state legislator that have put the uh, well-being of the child ahead of everything and and voted to pass to ban child marriage under 18 with no exceptions. So this blew my mind because I did not know that this was happening either. I thought this was only in foreign countries. And I went and I looked at North Dakota's uh, laws and someone under the age of 18, so 16 to 18, you have to have someone sign for you. So are we thinking about, are we saying kids as in 16, 17 year olds, or are we talking younger than that kids? No, we're talking about when we say child marriage, it's under 18. Now, California, the state I live in, along with other nine states, do not have a minimum age, Sarah. No minimum age. (laughs) So what? Yes, all what you need is parental consent and judge's approval. And you can be married at, I don't want to even indicate uh, my my director of communication when I say, you know, if your parents can find a judge to marry you off at five, they'll marry you off at five because there's no minimum age. And she keeps saying, Rima, please don't say that. But how can you, you need to drive that point because there is no minimum age. But we've heard from child survivors. We just had a summit, a two-part summit in July and then uh, 22nd on August 5th. In July, we listened to the survivors. 
And August 5th, we were we did advocacy. We had advocacy leaders who, and we had breakout rooms and everybody was calling their elected officials and indicating basically no child marriage under 18, no exception. And you can hear from some of these survivors, there has been 200, over 200,000 children married since 2000 in the US minors. That's mainly young girls married to adult men. And so you, we heard from these survivors and some of them Sarah, are like 55 or 45 and you can still hear the raw emotion in their voice and they still get choked up. One of them was basically sexually molested by her nanny. The nanny was brought in by the dad. The nanny is a male. So she was sexually molested by him. Aww. She got So what they did is they had her marry the rapist so he doesn't get charged by a crime, which is statutory rape. Another child survivor was the same thing. The mother this time forced her to marry the 45-year-old man because she didn't want the man who had kids separated from the wife to get charged and go to prison. So she forced her daughter to marry the rapist. And so what we're saying is we want to... uh, to advocate, we're advocating for a no-child marriage under 18, no exception. Now, globally, globally, there's 40 million people that are in modern, what we call modern-day slavery. 25 of those are forced labor, and that includes sex trafficking. And 15 are forced marriages. That's globally. But in the U.S., as I mentioned, there's over 200,000 minors who got married. I cannot give you an exact figures because there's 22 states. California was one of them until 1-1 of 2019 that did not keep statistics. They do not keep statistics on child marriages. Now, in California, we started keeping statistics as of 1-1-2019. Not all counties have been keeping statistics because we asked for that report from the state and not all counties reported it. And so... When UNICEF indicates that child marriage is a violation of human rights, when the United States, the the Department of State issues a report in 2016 that indicates if human rights abuse in other countries, we say, what about our country? What about our kids? So this is where we come from. And so some of these minors, the 200,000 were married as young as 12. And so... That article that I talked to you about was written by Nicholas Kristof, the one that I received in 2016. And he wrote it for the New York Times, and it was about Sherry Johnson, if you Google her name, in Florida. At 10-year-old, she was repeatedly raped by a deacon in the church and a parishioner. At 11, she got pregnant. Child welfare was going to conduct an investigation. The parents and the church get together, and they marry her off to the 20-year-old rapist. At 18, she found a friendly attorney that got her out of that marriage. She had seven kids, Sarah. So from 11 to 18, seven kids. When you're married at that young age, when you have an, and we we said most of them are young girls married to an adult man. And so you have no control over anything. You have no control over reproductive rights. You have no control over anything. And you don't have access to any services. 
In most states, if you're in a domestic abuse situation, you're a minor, you go to a shelter, they say, go to your parents or they call the parents. But she's married, right? And how do you know, I mean, these young girls and boys do get married also, these young girls, how would they know how can they access to an attorney? What is their legal right? What is, because those men control everything that they do. So what happens when you marry early is that it leads to a social isolation because you get pregnant early. So you have adolescent fertility, right? Mm -hmm. So there's social isolation. And then, as I mentioned, early pregnancy. And then again, this child marriage covers up a crime, a cover up of a rape. It interrupts their schooling. It limits the girl's opportunity for educational for education or vocational training in order to advance herself. And also it places the girls at an increased risk of domestic violence and maternal and infant mortality. AMA, the American Medical Association, came out against child marriage because they mention all these things. And they also say they're also at a high risk of SDT, sexually transmitted diseases. And so they're saying we are against child marriage and more than 80% of these marriages end up in, in divorce. And so what we're saying is, please, would you put what we do at, at Global Health 365 is that we ask, I used to do 10 to 12 speaking engagements a month in person. And I've personally interacted with over 160,000 people. And so what we do is we ask people to call their elected officials in the state and say, please pass a legislation that says no child marriage under 18, no exceptions. Because most of the exceptions happen because of the parents. The parents should be the protector of the child. Instances, they're the ones who lead to their children getting married at a minor at a very young age. And so that's what we're saying. We have... We have resolutions that have been passed in California. We came up with them. Uh, We authored them. And so far, they have been passed unanimously at the city of Irvine and the city of Anaheim, the happiest place on earth where Disneyland is. The the city council passed it unanimously on August 25th. No child marriage under 18, no exception. So we're trying. It's part of the raising awareness and education that we're trying to do in order for us to get Sacramento, uh, our elected officials to pass the legislation for the whole state. We're also meeting with federal uh, elected officials, hoping to get it passed on the federal level. So if we can get it passed first on the federal level, that will help us as far as the state is concerned. And if we can get it passed on the state level first, then uh, we can, that will help us on the federal side. But it's, it's unconscionable that in 2020, in the U.S., the world leader, child marriage is still legal. That's as far as child marriage is concerned. And then we get to uh, one of my board members, actually, she's a professor at University of Southern California, USC. She went to the point of indicating that child marriage is just another form of human trafficking because it's the transfer of of a person, which is in this instance, a child from one adult to the other, from the parents basically to, to the husband when it comes to young girls. So that's our segue into human trafficking. 
Human trafficking, unfortunately, it's a $150 billion crime industry and it's the fastest growing. And as I mentioned, there's around 25 million victims globally, 25 million victims globally. Uh, California, unfortunately, is ranked number one in the country for calls to the human trafficking hotline. One, because we are a very large state, and the other, because there's a lot of raising awareness going on between law enforcement and human trafficking task force. I belong to the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force. They meet on a monthly basis, and it's part community organizations, law enforcement, and the task force trying to basically raise awareness and end human trafficking. So Global Hope 365 is about preventing victims from happening, either child marriage or human trafficking. On the human trafficking side, there's a lot of organization which try to provide service to victims. But when you hear the stories of these victims, you realize that the trauma is still very traumatic and fresh in their mind. And we don't want anyone, especially children, to go through that trauma because it's not going to leave them. So what? that's what we're all about. We're trying to introduce human trafficking prevention programs in all schools in Orange County. The district attorney in San Diego, which is just to the south of us, she's a pioneer as far as the fight on human trafficking. She's implemented that human trafficking prevention program in all public schools in San Diego. LA and San Francisco ranked among the top 13 counties in the nation as far as child trafficking. And so that's why we need that prevention program, not just in schools, but also to the larger community. Because I tell you, whenever I spoke, the other the misconception about human trafficking, it's that it's all these foreign women that are brought in the into the US. That's not true. 90% of the women in the sex industry in the US are US citizens. Wow. And so they are trafficked and most of them are trafficked in the area that they live in. And it's not all like the movie Taken. And I know a lot of people have seen the movie Taken. The PowerPoint presentation that I have, have a, a couple of very powerful videos. And in one of those videos, they will tell you that traffickers, they use various techniques, not just kidnapping. They will sit outside of a school when, when children used to go in person, and now they're coming back to going in person. And they will look for that child who's walking alone. And so they will get close to them, and they will groom them, and they will try to entice them with a life of designer items and a life of endless parties. And also, the internet, unfortunately, has exponentially increased the victimizations of children and young women and men. And now children have been trafficked out of their own home because of COVID-19. Traffickers knew that most kids, all kids are on the internet. And so calls to the national trafficking hotline has increased exponentially. The uptick has been 40% nationally and 30% in San Diego. And that's according to the district attorney there, because the traffickers know that all the kids are online and they do it through social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. They do it through game rooms, chat rooms. And, and so we have like 
45 uh, million kids that are on the internet between the ages of 10 and uh, 17. And so one in every five have been sexually solicited. One in every four has encountered unwanted pornography. We host Global Hope 365 coffee meetups every month. One of our speaker was an author, a wellness coach, and a counselor. And then in the prep meeting that I had with her before our uh, actual meeting, she shared that uh, she was a victim of a human trafficking, of sex trafficking. And most uh, of the people are trafficked through someone that is close to them, uh, through a partner, a family member, or a friend. And she said, I wish, and she shared that when we had the actual event with, with our audience. And she told everyone, I wish my parents were monitoring my phone then I wouldn't have gone through what I went through. She was afraid to tell her parents. She was ashamed to tell her parents what's going through. And so the parents need to have this honest dialogue with their children and indicate what are the dangers. Uh, there are apps online on, that they can use on the internet in order to, to monitor and reduce the danger of their kids being solicited. But it, it tells you one in every four has encountered unwanted pornography. And 60% of those teens, they tell you they received an instant message from a stranger and half of them responded. Half of them responded. And 71% uh, of the parents stopped supervising their kids on the internet after the age of 14. However, 72% of all internet-related missing children cases happen at 15 years and over. So we need to monitor our kids. If you have a meeting with the kids, and there's a whole bunch of things that you could do in order to minimize the danger of your kids. Uh, one of them is you meet with them and you uh, basically explain to them what are the dangers, what are the dangers that are, if you explain to them the dangers and that you're not just trying to monitor things because you want to monitor things, but have that honest conversation. Talk about the potential grooming. Talk about the, the red flags. Make them aware. Most of them will understand. Most of them will understand why you're doing this. And then you need to find out, you've had the family meeting, then you need to find out how do they spend their time on their device. What kind of websites are they visiting? Then you need to set up controls and you follow up. You limited the time, you use some of these apps, and then you, you spend, you limit the spend time online. And, and so in order to minimize that, some kids have been trafficked out there to their own home and, and their parents didn't know that. One person indicated uh, to us that one of the examples that we had is that she was groomed right out of the house and they enticed her to come out and meet with them. And then what happens at the meeting, uh, they basically get raped and then a video is taken and then they're put into sex trafficking and they want to, when they want to leave, they threaten them. They say, see this video we took, we're going to show it to your parents. Mm, okay. And one of the cases, I was a keynote speaker at the International Association of Insurance Professionals. And after my speech, 
one of the um, attendees came to me and she said her niece was trafficked. The parents uh, were professional. One is a lawyer. The other was a physician. They're here in California, in LA. She went to study to the university in Georgia. And they approached her with a classic approach, which is, you're so beautiful, we're going to make you a model. And then at the interview, allegedly the interview with the agent, she was raped and she was put into sex trafficking. So when you say you're put into sex trafficking, because sometimes, you know, like you see the movie Taken, they are kidnapped, they are put into it, you know, they are sold. That is not always the case. Like these, some of these people who are sex trafficked are living at home. They are, they have a handler that just basically pimps them out. Correct? Yes. So I'll give you another example. When I spoke at, in one of my speaking engagements, another speaker was a victim of uh, human trafficking. She said that she moved with her mom from Hawaii to here in Orange County to stay with the uncle. And then the uncle molested her and the uncle trafficked her. And she said that when all the kids were going home to have dinner and do their homework, she had to hit the street and uh, reach a quota for that night to bring back to the uncle. And when someone asked her, why didn't you tell your mom? She said, because I kept hearing that my mom was saying, he's our protector, he's the only thing between us and the street. And I didn't feel that she would believe me. So uh, I, I can't have us live in the street. I can't have my mom live in the street. And so she never said anything to the mother. So we need to have a relationship with our children that no matter what happens, we need them to feel safe to come and tell us what's going on. We're not going to judge. We're not going to shame them. But if they can't, if they don't feel, basically we need to tell them that they need to assign three people that are safe that they can uh, share things with that uh, the district attorney in San Diego mentioned, when you have that discussion with your kids, what are kids most afraid of? That you're going to take your cell phone away with them, from them. Tell them that we're not going to take the cell phone. There's no judging. Just tell me what, I want you to feel safe telling me anything that's happening. I have a friend who's in law enforcement. Her daughter received a pornographic image on her cell phone. Now, she came to her mom and she said, look what I received. And so they called the sheriff immediately. And she texted back that person and said, you just messed with the wrong person, buddy. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But you have to have that dialogue with your kids so they don't fall victims. I can was we put the blame? I mean, I don't want to put the blame on anyone, but can we blame the parents for being lazy and not not following up with their kid or not being close enough with their kid or who, who is really to blame here? Basically, you know, human trafficking or sex trafficking is demand and supply, you know? Yeah. Do you want to get to the root cause of the problem? Okay. It's the demand. Okay. You have to punish demand because right now, if you get caught with a victim of buying sex with a victim of human trafficking in I don't know how many States, it's a misdemeanor. It's not even a felony. How can that be? How yeah. can that be? Are you trying to tell us that the lives of children and women is not that important to elected right. officials? 
they don't care about their safety and about our well-being, they need to punish demand. So this way, if it's a a felony, then the perpetrators, the buyers, will think twice about buying that. That's one. And then you can increase the penalty on the traffickers. As I mentioned, it's a $150 billion industry. In one of the videos that I show you, uh, she'll tell you that a trafficker who's working two girls or two women will make close to $800,000 cash a year. So all of your audience, don't even think about it because think that it might happen to your kids or your sister or your mother. So the traffickers do not discriminate according to your socioeconomical race, religion, or anything. To them, you're a commodity. And sometimes they transfer. They even put a tattoo on on, on their uh, victims to indicate that they belong to them. And so, and sometimes they sell them. But we had the chief of police from San Diego at our summit when we had it at the UCI School of Law on September 14. And that's when we launched the California Coalition to End Child Marriage. And he said most of the victims, they trafficked in the same area they live in. But what traffickers do is that they keep moving them for two reasons. One, to avoid getting caught. And two, to disorient their victims. Another case in the school, this young girl, uh, she was approached by a friend in school and the friend said, my dad and I will take you home. And she said, you know, let me call my parents. And they said, no, that's okay. We'll get there before you even call them. She disappeared for six months. That person wasn't the dad of the girl. Oh. If the parents didn't have the financial resources, they had to hire a private detective and they found their daughter after six months. So basically she was raped and she went, she was put into sex trafficking. And sometimes these young girls have 10, 12, 20 men going through them on a daily basis. You want to tell me that doesn't leave physical, mental, emotional scars and trauma? Oh my gosh. And so we need to be more pre-active. And then again, when we talk about the root cause, we need to talk about these tech companies that have a carte blanche that victims of child abuse, uh, I mean, victims of human trafficking, sex trafficking, cannot sue them. Right now, they have a carte blanche. However, there is what's called the EARNIT Act, the Eliminating Abuse and Rampant Neglect of Interactive Technologies, the EARNIT Act. It passed unanimously in the uh, Judiciary Committee in the Senate. Next week, it's coming up. Next week, it's coming up in the House. So I would like all your audience to call their senator and say, you need to co-sponsor the Earn It Act on the Senate side. And it's coming up in the House next week. And uh, they need to co-sponsor the Earn It Act basically in the House. Because what does it say? It's a bill that was introduced in the Senate, which would create incentive to these tech companies that you have to earn your liability protection. If you don't want victims to sue you, you have to earn that protection. It cannot be carte blanche. 
And so this will make it so that big tech could be held accountable for the sexual exploitation of children. I was on a call today. We have a weekly bill on the uh, weekly meeting on the Earn It Act with um, staffers from the Senate and and the House. And I heard some astronomical statistics. I know we're getting close to that time, but they said, according to the in 2008, there's been 600,000 images or videos. Uh, that were reported to the National Center on Missing and Exploited Children. They call it NICMIC, the point for it. And so they called it an epidemic. However, in 2019, the New York Times reported that there were 70 million images, 70 million images of children being exploited. The New York Times called it an almost unfathomable increase in criminal behavior. So that's what we're trying to say. From 600,000 in 2008 to 70 million in 2019, and these are images of children being sexually exploited. Images, either still or videos, that are being transferred from one person to the other on these platforms. So that's why we came, uh, I mean, they came up with the Earn It Act, that you cannot have a card blanche, uh, doing business as usual when our children are being exploited and you're not being held accountable. So you have to earn that to be free of these lawsuits. So that's why I urge you and all the audience to basically just go to the Center on Missing and Exploited Children and you can read all about that. Who is attracted, like when we were talking about these child marriages, first of all, I don't know who's worse, the parents or these people who are basically pedophiles, because who's wanting to marry an 11 or 12 year old? You know, marriage is supposed to be two people who complement each other, right? Right. You do stuff together. Because why do they say you cannot vote until you're 18, contract until you're 18? There's a reason. Yet you can get married at 11. Explain that to me. I think that's horrible. And I don't understand what is so appealing to an older person, something like that, you know, and like you said, there has to be better punishment because that's just, that's just so disturbing. It is. It is. One of the child marriage survivors that we had on July 22nd indicated that when they went to the judge to get married and the mother gave a slip, like she transferred her kid to this adult man so they can get married. And jokingly, the the judge said, oh, if you don't want to marry her, I'll marry her. I'm like, what? What? So, yes. And so you'll hear from all of them, all these survivors is one, they felt that their parents basically failed them. The system failed them be it the judiciary, be it whoever it is, the system failed them. And so they had no access. One of them, uh, she was able to run away from her husband with her kids, but she ended up being homeless. Because remember, these are kids who became pregnant, who didn't go to school. How are they going to have gainful employment and be able to support themselves and their kids? Because she became homeless, she said, you know, She went back 
to that abuser, to that husband, because she wanted the kids to have a home. And so we have to make it safe for our kids and for our women in the U.S. That's all what we're saying. Wow. I I had no idea that people that young were getting married. It just yeah. blew my mind when I when I read your bio and I was like, this is seriously happening because I thought this was ha- somewhere, you know, in foreign countries. You And you've seen videos and it's it's horrible when you see because these kids don't want to leave their parents. And yet the parents are saying, OK, and what's wrong with parents who are protecting the people who have raped their children? Yeah, I, I can't. I, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. No. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So this is this has to be high stress for you. And you've talked to some people who have had some very significant trauma. How do you deal with that? How do you decompress after hearing all of these stories? I tell you, I have, I put blinders on and I keep going after my target. But like you said, there will come a point where you're just gonna, it manifested itself for me, all this stress in digestive issues. And I realized that it's from all the stress. So I just had to shut down everything, emails, phones, everything and say, you know what? I need two or three days off. I don't want to answer the phone. I don't want to respond to emails and just took two days off and walked and slept and ate until I recuperated. And then I went full steam, full steam ahead after I came back. But you know, that cycle has to repeat because you can't keep hearing these stories and you can't keep buying heads with people who say, you know what? Yeah, I don't think such a legislation is a priority for me at this time. You want to get off your chair <laughs> and mm-hmm. go to that person and say, I can't believe I'm hearing that. But yeah. So do you like working with the victims or is that, a very, is that difficult to do, to hear those stories? We do not provide services for victims. There are organizations who do. Okay. But what we do is that we would like the victims to tell their stories. We wanted to give them a platform, so which is part of raising awareness. So the community, the constituents can hear their stories. And then the elected officials will hear their stories too. We also set up meetings between the elected officials, the state elected officials and the victims. They need to hear it from the victims. They need to hear the trauma. They need to hear how the system and the parents uh, fail them and that we need to put some things in place in order to protect the kids. And so that's what we come across. Now, we're all about education and prevention in order to save lives. We do not provide services except giving them a voice. Okay. Our organizations who do. Okay. So when you we were talking about the it's a majority of young girls who this is happening to, but what is the youngest you have seen of a boy that has been married off? To be honest with you, I I haven't come across a boy that was married off, but I know they do, okay. only because we're concentrating about ending harmful practices against women and girls. But I know since 2000, as far as girls are concerned, the youngest was 12. I don't know about the boys. But in, in general, the largest population that is being trafficked and is being married is female. Yes, yes. Because, you know, just like the number one crime industry, as you know, is drugs. 
you sell the drugs, they ingest it, smoke it, whatever, it's gone. But with especially sex trafficking, they keep reusing the female or the, the boy or the girl, they're a commodity. So they keep reusing them. And, and as I mentioned, you can have 20 people going through that victim on a daily basis. Ah. So it's a tough uh, situation. And when we say there's 70 million images on the internet that are being reported, you can imagine how many are still not reported. Right. And they're getting, those images are of kids. Some of them are babies. How sick can people get? I, I don't know. And with the, like, they say like Super Bowl and like big events like that are huge trafficking events, right? Yes. Actually, somebody mentioned, I was at another podcast and she mentioned that in Detroit, uh, they have that because she also works with, the, there's a crime, there's a nonprofit that is, Crime Detroit, I think it's called. Uh, they have that around the uh, auto show. Yeah. So it's it's major sports event. And now we know that's auto show too. Yes. Because you have all these men who are affluent, who are coming to look at the auto show. And basically traffickers know that. And they bring the girls and the boys in order to service the clientele that's coming to the auto show or to the major sports event. I live in a, a town of 1,200. So I, <laughs> I am so sheltered. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. And so it's so crazy to me to hear these things because this is, not, and I am sure, I'm sure in the bigger towns around here, this is happening, but this is just not something that you're exposed to on a daily, you have to be looking for this if you want it. And basically, if you listen to law enforcement, like uh, as I mentioned, I attend the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force meetings. And Sergeant Juan Rivelas from Anaheim PD assigned to the task force will tell you that it's all hidden in plain sight. Only 10% uh, right now is on the streets. The majority of it is in hotels, motels, home brothels, massage parlors, and as far as labor trafficking, nail shops. And so... We have to look for these things. And one time I asked him after one of his speeches, I said, how can you tell if a massage parlor, if it's legit or not? He said, you sit in front of it for a day. And if you see that only the people who are attending are men and they don't stay there long and you cannot see through that show window, through that mm -hmm. window, then most probably that's not a legit massage parlor. Wow. And same with when they say that people will put ads on Craigslist, you know, for their kids or to do whatever. Again, how it's it's insane to me that people even know how to read these things. You know what I mean? Like it just it blows my mind. They just charged a person and his wife. He was trying to sell his toddler for twenty five hundred dollars in another state. And all what they gave him is a year, a year in jail. How can you give someone a year in jail when they're trying to sell their toddler for $2,500? What? I'll send you the article. That is crazy to me. I had read this thing and it said that these parents were, um, they had a baby and they lived in a normal community and downstairs they had a room and they would, 
people, they'd find people from Craigslist and the people would come and assault the child and they'd video it. So then they got to make money on the video and the person paying to do that. Yes, that's why we want to hold these big uh, tech companies accountable. Yes. Elected officials and say, please sponsor, co-sponsor the Earn It Act. They cannot get uh, a carte blanche. They have to be held accountable. Now, they have to earn it, as I said. If they put in measures in order to prevent children from being exploited through their platforms, then they can earn the get out of uh, jail free or or having a carte blanche from being uh, free from uh, being sued by victims. Those parents should never see the light of day again. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. I I can't imagine why would somebody just put them in jail for a year? (laughs) Um, I mean, I know maybe they're thinking of the child and how the child now, the toddler is going to go into foster care but I mean, when parents are trying to sell their kids, do you think the kid is? And again, when we talk about vulnerable communities as far as human trafficking, foster kids, homeless, runaway kids, throwaway kids, they're more vulnerable than others to become victims of human trafficking, of sex trafficking. But as I mentioned, traffickers do not discriminate because of your socioeconomic financial position, they basically go after anyone that they can benefit of because human trafficking involves fraud, force, and and coercion, and someone benefiting uh, financially out of the commercial exploitation of another person. Mm -hmm. So... To get a little less on the serious, because this that's getting pretty deep when we're talking about all this kind of stuff. <laughs> but like in North Dakota, when you could be 16 or 17 and get married, yes, you are not an adult and you have to have your parents sign off. What are your thoughts? Because I know some people get married that early because let's say they're 16 and 17, 18, and they have a boyfriend, girlfriend, and they are pregnant and they want to get married. Do you still think that they should have to wait those two years or whatever to make that decision? Okay. Again, I will go to the root cause of the problem. Why not talk about safe sex? Because we know that, uh, if you talk about, you know, abstaining, uh, not a lot of kids will listen to you. So you need to educate. You cannot bury your head in the sand and say, not going to talk about abstaining and I'm not going to talk about safe sex. See, the the thing is, uh, kids have a choice. The one who want to marry at 16 and 17, they have a choice. What we're saying is wait until you're 18 and then you know that you really have this relationship and it's strong and you want to get married still. Those kids that are being married at 10, 11, 12, 13 do not have a choice. No. You have the choice of waiting. They don't have the choice. That's the big difference. And let's talk about uh, safe sex, healthy relationships, respect for women and children. We need to talk to our sons mainly and hammer down that women and girls uh, have to have the respect. Talk about healthy relationship. What is a healthy relationship? What is the respect that's owed to girls 
and women, would you like to see your sister go through that? And so that's what we need to talk about. So we need to get to the root cause of the problem and not provide band-aid solutions to uh, a social issue, a social phenomenon. Well, you kind of sound like you're an angel that's been sent down to really help a lot of a lot of different issues. <laughs> oh my, I'm just trying to do the best. I saw those things happening. Let me tell you why, again, I started Global Hope is I kept talking about all these harmful event, uh, acts that happen to women and, and, and girls. And until a friend of mine said, stop talking about it and do something. And that's when I started Global Hope. And so I haven't stopped since because I would like to believe that the time that I have on this earth, I've spent it trying to prevent harm from happening to women and girls. And in a way, by raising awareness education that I was able to prevent one, even I was able to prevent a young child from getting married or a young child from being a victim or a, or a woman from being a victim of human trafficking, then it, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Wow. I think that's amazing. I think you're doing amazing work and I look forward to following up with you and following what your organization is doing because this definitely should not be swept under the rug. Thank you. And they, people can go to, uh, we have two websites, globalhope365.org. That's www.globalhope365.org and uh, CA Coalition to End Child Marriage.org. And on the CA Coalition to End Child Marriage.org, we have our advocacy uh, page, and you can go there and you can request a copy of that resolution. So you're able to pass it in your own city council. And also you can send a digital letter to your elected officials to indicate that you want no child marriage under 18, no exceptions. Awesome. Well, Rima, thank you so much for explaining so many unknowns. <laughs> I'm, uh, I went through that myself. <laughs> when I didn't know about these things and then I didn't think I have the choice after I got to know about these things. It wasn't a choice for me to stay silent. I needed to do something. I love it. And you're the voice of many, many, many people. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me and for giving me this opportunity to basically uh, talk about these issues and making your audience learn more about these issues and get them involved. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated.